If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for the words that we have just sung, uh, that we do need you. We need you moment by moment in all things and in all ways. Uh, We thank you that you sustain us, that you've created us, that you hold us together by the word of your power. We pray that as we think through uh, uh, origins and how we got here and what that looks like and uh, what our world would tell us and, and what your word has told us, I pray that you would help us uh, with great humility to seek you on these matters. Uh, I pray for each one that you've brought here today, uh, whatever it is uh, that we hold to right now, our beliefs, uh, the things that we cling to or, or our understanding. I pray that you would challenge us today, each one of us, that you'd bring us to a greater understanding of, of who you are And what you've done. I I pray for those that may not believe that you're the one that's created all things. uh, That you would uh, meet them in the midst of where they are. And in their questions. And and in the midst of of their seeking and their asking. And I I thank you that you've brought them here today. Uh, We confess that we can't do this without you. We pray that you would be the one that would lead and guide our time. That you would be our teacher. That you would be the one as our creator and sustainer who comes today and shows us clearly who you are. Uh, We can't do that with our words or what we would say that has to be you. And so we ask that you would meet us in this place. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I I went uh, to the gym last week, which is a big deal for me after knee surgery. I got back and I was there. But as I was leaving the gym the other day, I walked out with my key to my car to unlock my car with my little fob. And as I was unlocking the car, it wouldn't unlock. And I went, ah, and I knew immediately, like my car's been telling me for like two months that the battery was low in my my remote. And so I walked out there and now it wouldn't unlock. And it's like, oh, I should have done this sooner. I look into the car and there's my wallet and my phone in the door. And so in your mind, you're like, oh, now what? Now what do I do? How do I do this? And so in disbelief, I just keep pushing the button like, come on, it's going to open. It's going to open. It's going to open. And after like 10 times, I'm like, so I'm about to go back in to the gym. And right about that time, Luke walks out and he goes, "Uh, you're at the wrong car. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm like looking at my car and I look around the parking lot and I'm like, no, this is this is my car. There's not another one like this here. And he's like, no, no, no. But that key is for the wrong car, because every time you push that button, that car over there keeps. I'm like, how how is that possible? So I go back into the gym and they're hanging on the little rack where everybody puts their keys is another key exactly like my key. Exact same. No, nothing else on it. It's just the key, no keychain, anything. And I put it back and I take the other one. I go back and ah, it unlocks. How about that? Great. Now, here's the sad part. Had Luke not said you're at the wrong car, I would have never gone back and looked. I was certain. I was absolutely sure it made perfect sense to me. The car's been telling me the battery's almost dead. I knew why it was happening. I was absolutely certain I had already in my mind go to who am I going to call and how am I going to get to the pharmacy and how am I going to get a new battery and how all these things. I wouldn't have even considered it. I'm not sure how long I would have stood there if he wouldn't have said. And so part of the, the, the reason I bring that up and the reason I say that is today, I feel like in our culture, we have gotten so set in our ways about what we believe and what we think and the way things hold together that we won't even consider another possibility. And that's for all of us in a lot of different ways. 
I think there's things that as a believer that God's clearly told us that we should hold to. But oftentimes we get into these areas that we're going to talk about today about science and origins and how we got here. And people come so set in their ways they won't even consider another possibility. And so what we have in our culture today that's become very uh, widespread and you'll hear more and more is this idea of a naturalistic assumption of all things. And what that means simply is the natural world and what we can see and we can taste and we can touch is all there is, that there's nothing else. And it's become so much so that we won't even consider that there might be some other causes or something behind that. And so what's happened in our culture is there's become an assault on the reasonableness of faith in God because it doesn't fit into that naturalistic box. And so what we're doing in this sermon series and and what we're talking about is just thinking through some of these big areas that can cause us to doubt our faith or struggle in our faith. And I think this is a big one today. Uh, We talked last week about the reliability of the Bible. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of is science Uh, Has it made belief in God obsolete? Has it taken a place that many assume that it has and it stands over any other type of knowledge and it's made it ridiculous to believe in God? And so I want us to think about that today. And, And one of those things when we begin to operate in this naturalistic assumption is then science becomes the only way to know anything. If our world is all there is then science is the observation of what there is and making hypothesis based on what we see and can touch and can feel. And so it becomes the thing that uh, can tell us what is true. And so my question today, what I want us to think about is, is that true? Uh, Does that make sense? And and so depending on where you are and and as you've come today, you may fall into, I think, three different categories. There's probably more than that, but I'm going to summarize it in three. Maybe you can come today and that cultural narrative, that the natural world is all there is. And science is the only thing that can tell us anything. Absolutely. If that's you and you believe that, I just ask that you would consider maybe there's more to it than that. Would you take today and just at least consider that maybe there's another possibility? Or or maybe you're here and you're a believer, and I know many of you are, because I know a lot of you, and and that you would believe that God is real and that God does act and God has created and he has done these things. And you go, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that the natural world is all there is. Well, my, my challenge to you this morning would be, would you consider how you would answer some of these objections? Not just say, I believe it and and God's word told me and that's the end of it and I don't have to worry about it. But how would you enter into a conversation who does with someone who does believe that? How would you meet them in the midst of where they are and what they think and the way they put things together? Meet them kind of on their terms and speak truth as we would see it through scripture into their life. And so I just challenge you from that uh, aspect But then maybe the last group would be you would say, I'm a believer. I do believe in God. I do believe in Christianity or I do believe in God. I'm not sure about the specifics of what all that looks like, but it does cause me to doubt my faith when I hear these things. And so I want to encourage you today that having faith in God is actually very reasonable. And so wherever you are in any three of those, I hope that it's encouraging and helpful or maybe challenging to you. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Two caveats. I said these last week, but I'm saying it again this week because this week and last week more so than any other two Sundays out of the year. This is not the way I normally preach. 
Uh, I said this last week as we spent a lot of time on the reliability of the Bible, believing we can trust the Bible, believing it's God's word. Normally what we do is we open a passage of scripture and we explain it. And I'm not apologizing for that. We're going to continue to do that. Actually, next week, even the way we're going to do this is really going to go back to kind of focusing around that. And so this is not our normal sermon. This is not the normal, what we call exegetical or expository, explaining what the text says. And so if you're visiting today and you go, well, he's not spending a whole lot of time in the Bible and he's talking about a lot of these other things. That's not normal. Uh, come back next week. <laughs> uh, and so I don't want you to think, well, that was kind of not what I was expecting because this isn't our normal. But then the second thing I would say to you is I'm going to hit on some big things like I did last week and I'm not going to answer everything. There may be objections that you hold or things that you wrestle with that I don't even touch on. And what I would ask you to do is, would you please write that down? Would you write it down on one of the cards that's in the seats in front of you or take your bulletin and just tear off a, a part of it where there's a blank spot and write it down? Because what we're going to do at the very end of this is come back and try to answer some of those questions that people have put forward. Because we do want this to be instructive and helpful and encouraging. And so with that said, let's consider the way we're going to talk about this this morning. And here's the big idea. First, I want us just to consider this cultural narrative that's out there today. That science, the natural world makes faith in God obsolete. And so I'm just going to try to encapsulate some of the big ideas that are there for you. Then secondly, I want you to consider why there's a huge problem with that belief. There's a huge gaping hole in it. And we're going to consider that. And then lastly, I want to just put a few things before you that would uh, hopefully encourage you in seeing that why belief in God is reasonable. That you don't have to check your mind at the door to have faith in a God of the universe. And so let's just start first with this big idea, the cultural objection that is there. I mentioned this last week. Uh, but for the last month or so, I've been reading a lot of different things, a lot of people that would object to Christianity that would be against it in a lot of ways. And I've gone back and I, and I reread some books that I'd read in the past and kind of gone back to some things. One of those is The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. If you know who Richard Dawkins is, he's a very predominant atheist today who um, big evolutionary biologist. He just rips on Christianity like it's his mission to say all faith in any God is ridiculous. And he seems to have a big uh, uh, chip on his shoulder for Christianity in particular. But Dawkins would say in his book that religion and the belief in God is a is a uh, the word he would use is an unfortunate byproduct of evolution. That it, that it's happened that, that people that are more. Uh, uh, paranoid and, and always think there's something around the corner and those kind of things, they survive and survival of the fittest. And so they've proliferated this idea of a belief in God. And it's an evolutionary mechanism that's gone down through the ages. And so he seeks to just rip it apart. And he says it's ridiculous because we can explain why we have it, that you should even believe in it. And so Dawkins says a lot of things around those areas. Uh, another one is Christopher Hitchens. Very similar to Richard Dawkins, also an atheist, very predominant in the in the world as far as that today or was. He, he recently passed away, I believe. And but his his uh, book was called God is not great. And, and he says that religion grew out of a simpler time when we didn't have explanations for what we see in the world. So we had to make up some things to fill in the gaps. But now we're smart enough that we don't have to believe in those things anymore. They're a waste of our time. And so what these guys have said, they've been very influential. You may say, well, who cares what those guys say and why are you bringing them up? They've been very influential. 
They've been very influential in the way that they have shaped this debate and these thoughts. And people look to those guys today to understand this kind of naturalistic worldview. And so what they say in a nutshell is that we can account for everything we see in the world by natural means. So therefore, belief in God is unnecessary and it's kind of juvenile and you have to check reason at the door, those sorts of things. And if you think about that assumption that they're making and what they're they're leading to, then they say the reason or the way that we know anything is by science, by by testing and observing what we can see in the natural world, because in their belief, that's all there is, is the natural world. And so then the speculation from that comes. If you believe in God, you are doing so by blind faith, whereas an atheist is only doing so by reason and evidence. Okay, do you follow that? That's very much what we hear in our world today. You may not hear people expressly saying that, but you see that across the landscape in all different ways. That to believe in God, well, that's your personal thing, but you leave the facts to the scientists and they tell us what's true. And so what we've done is is that's become said over and over and over again. We've kind of adopted that like that. That makes perfect sense. And so Dawkins will say things. He will then take all that and say things like this. He will say in his book, The God Delusion, that he says, yes, it's difficult to believe that life could spring from nothing. That's science's best guess. The Big Bang started 15 billion years ago. There was nothing and then there was something and it happened in an instance. But science, a naturalistic man like Dawkins would say, there was no cause for that. It just happens spontaneously. And we don't need an answer because everything we see in the world tells us that's true. And what he'll say is that's difficult to believe. He'll concede that. But he'll say there's no evidence for God. So it's more probable that it came from nothing than something that there was instead of God acting on it, that it just happened. And then he'll say we don't need to believe in God at all. And so I want you just to wrestle with that a little bit. If you've heard that before, I want you to think about how you would answer that or how you might talk to someone if you don't agree with that. But that's what they're saying, and they're saying it over and over. Uh, Hitchens takes it a whole nother step. He says this, there can be no peace between rational and religious thought. So you hear what he's saying. If you believe in a God, then you're not rational. Right. That's what he's saying, because religious thought and rational thought cannot ever cross. He says they're irreconcilable. And so there's some guys that have come up with some terms to try to encapsulate all this. And and the thought today is simply this. They call it exclusive rationality. Right. The only ones that are truly rational are scientists. Science is the only arbiter of what is real and factual, and you should not believe anything that you can't prove. That's the naturalistic assumption today. And it's everywhere. It's being taught in schools. It's being used in our government. It's being used all it's in everything. And so I want you just to wrestle and think with that for just a moment today that it's so growing in our society. Maybe you believe that. Maybe you've heard that so much that that makes sense to you. Maybe you've struggled with these things and it causes you to doubt that God actually exists. Or maybe you completely reject it, but you don't have any idea of how you would begin to answer it. And so the second thing I want us to consider then, that's just kind of the big picture. The second thing I want us to consider is there's a giant problem with this narrative. There's a huge hole right in the middle of it. 
And it's almost so obvious sometimes we can forget it and we can hear those things and it can cause us to go, oh, I'm not sure. But, but the truth is the first hole in it is that science cannot explain everything. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but science cannot explain everything. By its very definition, it can't explain everything. Science is simply this. The, the definition we have, the working definition of science, it's a systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experience. And so basically what it is, is we're observing what we can see in the physical and natural world. And we're writing down what we observe about it. And then we're doing experiments based on what we can observe. That's what science by definition is. But there's a whole lot of things beyond that. That we can't see and we can't touch and we can know, but we can't put in a test tube. And so science is limited in its scope. Now, there's nothing not against science. It's good and it's helpful. It teaches us about our world. It's a great tool for us to use, but it's limited in its scope. And so when guys like Richard Dawkins begin to tell us things about uh, make these scientific statements, it is more probable that something came from nothing 15 billion years ago with no one acting on it than it is God created it. That is not a scientific statement. You're not doing science anymore. And so what they would say is, I've seen this, I've observed the way things operate and what I see. And so therefore, I now believe this and I'm going to say it. But they say it like it's a scientific statement. Like this is the only rational way to say that. But by science definition, they've left science behind. Do you understand? That's pretty straightforward, but it's an important distinction for us to make and to consider and to think about. When we begin to make philosophical statements, the question then becomes, can you actually test the statement and observe what you're saying? Can you put in a test tube and observe that the world started on its own with no cause, nothing to something versus God creating? Can you test that? No. It's not a scientific statement. But our world would say that it is. We've kind of cloaked it in. Yeah, but it is because a scientist said so. Just because a scientist makes a philosophical statement, it doesn't make it science. But that's what we've done in a whole lot of ways. And so you start to get these things kind of put out there. And a lot of times we can struggle with, Okay, well, I'm not sure how to take that. He's a really bright guy and he sounds really convincing and he's told me all these things. But the truth is what they're doing is, is they're taking a hypothesis based on what they have observed. And then they're making faith based statements. So they've not only said naturalistic world and that's what we see and we think is most rational. They've actually taken it to a whole nother level or another step. Because they cannot conceive or, or I should say it this way, because they can conceive a natural reason for why they see things happening. Because we've come up with a theory uh, that everything evolved from one single cell organism over billions of years. And we can put that model together because we can see can conceive of that. What they said is there can't be another cause, which is a lie. That's not true. Just because you have evidence or you've supported your theory in some ways, which, by the way, they're giant holes in the theory still. 
It's in no way a conclusive thing. But because we have a working model that seems to make sense of some of the things we said, what they've done is they said there cannot be another way. Which if you're truly a scientist, you can never say that (laughs) because science is observing what you can see, not making hypotheses on what you can't see or can't test. Do you follow? So there's a huge problem here. There's a huge problem, but oftentimes we miss it altogether. And so when we say that there has to be a natural cause and there can't be anything else, it's kind of like go back to my key example. Right. I had decided that I knew why my key wasn't working. Right. I had quickly decided it's not working because the battery's dead. It made perfect sense. And I'd already kind of closed my mind that anything else could exist. Right. It just made perfect sense. My car's been telling me the battery's going to die. All of that comes together. Well, what they're doing today with this naturalistic assumption is saying that this is why the battery's dead and there cannot be another way. That's not true. You see in my example very quickly that there could be another way and it was just as reasonable and rational, but I had decided that it couldn't be. And so that's what's happened in our world today in so many ways. There's a quote in your bulletin this morning from, from Tim Keller who's a pastor in New York City, and he writes extensively on these kind of things. But he talks about it, and he gets to the very crux of this when he says this. He says, evolution as a theory has turned into something very different than a working scientific hypothesis when it seeks to account for everything about life. No longer are you doing science. You are now letting scientific findings shape your philosophy, but you are no longer doing science. And so I I just want you to see clearly with what we hear from our world today that science is the only arbiter of truth. This is the only way to know anything, that a natural world is all there is. And when people make those statements, they are making philosophical statements operating on what they believe, faith statements that they believe based on what they've observed. And they're not doing science. Do you understand That's a very important distinction for all of us to wrestle with, that that's not the case. To always assume that there's a natural cause for everything. If I decide to be a naturalist, that there's always a natural cause. First of all, that is a faith based assumption. I cannot prove that. I'm taking that on faith based on what I've observed. But then secondly, when I say there cannot be anything else, I'm closing myself to the possibility that there's any other way that we got here. And so not only am I missing uh, or not only am I cloaking my beliefs in science. I'm also closing myself to the possibility that can be anything else. And that's what's being done today. And a lot of times we hear those guys and they say these things and they talk real fast and they put their things out there and you're like, oh, wow, it's really convincing. Actually, it's not. <laughs> it's got a huge problem with it. And oftentimes we miss that. I'll give you one other one and then I'm going to move on to just a couple things to consider about why it's reasonable to believe in God. But the last thing I would want you to consider here is not only has science uh, uh, making faith-based statements and they're holding to things they believe. Science is built on putting our faith in a whole lot of things that we cannot prove. I don't know if you've ever considered this. But if we evolved, there was no cause 
nothing magically spraying into something. And that's how we all got here. By random chance, there is no designer. It's all natural, naturalistic. There's no higher power. There's no God. There's nothing. Then why do we believe the universe is rational and our mind can know it? That is a faith-based assumption that you cannot prove scientifically, especially if we got here by accident. Do you follow? If it's completely random chance and there was no creator, there was no thing. Why do you think that our mind is rational? There's a great quote in your bulletin, actually, from Charles Darwin, who says that. He says, when I think that we evolved from simpler animals and then at some point we became conscious and not only did we become conscious, but we can understand our world around us. It scares me to death because that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It's a huge hole there, but we have to scientists have to take it on faith that our world is uniform, that it can be understood, that our mind is rational. You cannot make a case for that in a naturalistic worldview. Do you understand? And so they're building all their findings on this idea that the world is orderly, that there's constants, that truth exists, that we can understand it. But yet they can't prove any of those things in their own view. And so all that to say is simply this. We all take things on faith. There is no person who only holds certain things, only holds beliefs that they can prove. That person doesn't exist. Every single one of us is putting our faith in something. And so the last part here I just want to think about for just a second is does it make sense to believe in God? Because everything I've said to this point doesn't really address that at all. You can say, well, okay, it sheds some doubt on is it all random chance and is it a naturalistic worldview? But it certainly doesn't prove God. And so if you would, would you read with me Romans one, just a few verses there? Dan read them to us just a second ago, but I want us to read again. It's Romans one. Verse 18, beginning in verse 18, page 610, if you got the blue stripe, I think, on your Bible and 547, if you got the white one. And I'll go ahead and say this while you're finding it. If you need a Bible or know somebody that needs a Bible, please take that with you. That's why they're there. But starting in Romans chapter one, verse 18, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the early church. And he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so I want you to look at that first verse of what he says. He says, because of our sinfulness, 
And I say this frequently, if you've ever been here before, sin is ignoring God and the world he created. It is choosing to define ourselves by ourselves rather than our creator. And so Paul says as sin comes into our life and we become inward and we believe the lie that we are the center of the universe, we suppress all the things that clearly point us to God. And he says, you can see that there is a God and there is a creator in the creation when you look around. But our sinfulness leads us to suppress that fact and make it all about us. And so I want you to just think about that for a second. Does that hold true? Is that an accurate description of our world today? We have come up with naturalistic reasons on how we got here, so therefore we don't need God any longer. But here's the thing I want you to consider. Is that true? Or is what Scripture says true, that there's all kinds of proofs around us, if we're looking for them, that God does exist, that He is the Creator? Uh, Psalm 19.1, Heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the skies above His handiwork. And so I want you just to consider a couple of things here. Go back to the working assumption that we have today that everything that there is came from nothing 15 billion years ago, what we call the Big Bang. And so science's best guess of how the universe got here 15 billion years ago, all matter. And this is the definition of the Big Bang. This is not my this is the definition that you find in a textbook. All matter condensed to an infinitesimally small point. And then there was a great explosion out of which all things came. Infinitesimally small. Think about that. That means nothing. (laughs) So everything condensed to nothing. And then there was an explosion and everything came out of it. Now, the hypothesis is it was 15 billion years ago because of how big the universe is and it's expanding. And so if they look at how big it is and work backwards and bring it back down to nothing, then it had to be 15 billion years ago. So that's that's the theory. There was nothing and then there was something, but someone like Richard Dawkins would say, and there was no cause for it. It just happened. One day there was nothing and then poof, everything that we see has grown out of that and that's it. And so now I want you to consider what the Bible says. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And then verse 2. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so just stop there for a second. What God inspired, I believe, Moses to write down almost 4,000 years ago was that there was nothing, and then there was something, and it happened in an instant. Now, we've come to the working theory that there was nothing, and then there was something within the last 100 years, and we've called it the Big Bang and said we don't need God, but yet God told us almost 4,000 years ago that's what he did. Moses didn't know anything about the expansion of the universe or how fast it was expanding or the rate or any of those things. But yet somehow he nailed it that there was nothing and then there was something and it happened in an instance. I think it's interesting that God said, let there be light and there was light. There was an explosion. There was a bang that happened. And so you go, well, wait a second. So what takes more faith to believe that everything that you see got here by nothing 
by we don't know how, something we cannot replicate in science, nothing coming to something. Nobody's figured that one out yet. Or that God spoke and said and it happened. And so I want you to wrestle with that and I want you to think about which one of those is a faith-based belief. Now, I can't prove to you God did it that way. I think there's a lot of proofs in the Bible that would point us that make it reasonable to believe that God did it that way. I can't prove it. But just as they can't prove it either, it's both a faith-based belief on what we reason. Do you understand? And so when one says, well, we're science and we only operate in reason and facts and religion is ridiculous, it's like, oh, wait a second. That's not true. And so I would just ask, what are you putting your faith in? Is it in the God that created or is it that something came from nothing and for no reason? But let me give you a couple others real quick. Maybe you've heard the fine tuning principle. You ever heard this before? There's thousands of constants that can be observed in our world and in our universe that if if any single one of them was moved 0.1%, life would cease to exist. Have you heard this before? Uh, you could you could go and talk about um, the speed of light, the gravitational pull, the tilt of the earth, how far the earth is from the sun. It's 92 million miles. If it's 91 million miles, we all burn up. If it's 93, we all freeze to death. If you've heard that before, um, you can do the same thing with the forces, atomic forces and how strong they are. And if they were a little stronger, everything would collapse in on itself. And you can go through all of these different constants and there's thousands of them. Think of it as a thousand radios lined up and every single radio has to be dialed into like 91.3. And you move one of the thousand radios to 91.4 and life ceases to exist. They all have to be perfectly aligned. That's the fine tuning principle. That's the argument. That's the idea. And so for life to exist, all of those things have to be perfectly tuned into that exact. And so when we try to put odds on that that happened randomly with no one creating or moving or putting that into place. You know what we come up with? There are no odds. We can't put the odds in something that we can understand cognitively because they're so large. It's that big. It's like a number like 10 to the 100,000th power or something crazy that you can't even fathom. I heard a philosopher saying this stuck with me years ago. It's more probable that a tornado blows through a junkyard. You ever seen the junkyard on Dawson Forest over there? It's all this cars everywhere, like in various state of mess. It'd be like a tornado going through there and whipping all that up. And what it produces is a perfect working 747 aircraft. Right. And we laugh. We go, that's it's ridiculous. That's more likely than for the conditions to be have set the way they are for life to exist on our planet. And so which one takes more faith? That there's a creator acting on those things to set those in place or that that happened by random chance. And we don't even know how it started to begin with. And so my point is, we all take things on faith. What are you putting your faith in? And we could continue to go on and on and talk about the same is true for consciousness. How did people become conscious? We don't have an explanation for that. Why do we uh, trust that we can reason? Why do we appreciate beauty in creation? 
And you could go on and on. Why do we trust our brains that they're rational if we got here by random chance? And you have all these issues that we have to wrestle with. But let me give you one more last one and I'll end here. What about morality? The fact that there are certain things on our planet as a people that we say are wrong. If we got here by accident, there's no cause, there's no reason, then what do we appeal to on why we say uh, murder is wrong? Why do we universally as a people say that the Holocaust was awful? Why is that there? Why is there morals that we would say it doesn't matter what you say about it or what you say about it or what I say about it? It's just true. We can't do that. And the truth is we don't have a reason outside of a God who created us in his image. After his likeness, who made us a little bit like him to know these things and to feel these things and to see these things. And we can try to explain it all away. But the truth is we don't have an explanation for it. And so today people would tell you, if you have faith in God, it's blind faith and you're ignorant and you're opposed to rationality. But yet they would say everything came from nothing. And we don't have a good reason to explain these things and we don't have a way to put those together. And so I just want you to think through what that means. That what God gives us when we understand that he is the creator. That you're not just random chance. You're not just meaningless speck of dust flying through the universe that doesn't matter. That you were created in God's image to know and to love him and to love other people. That those things that are down inside of you, that you care for other people and you care for their good and you want their best and you want to say no to things that are evil and wrong. is because you're made in God's image. The glorious truth that we worship a God that loves us so much that he not only made us in that image, but then when we did suppress the truth, like Romans one says. Professing to be fools or professing to be wise, they became fools and they worship themselves rather than God. And what does God do? He says, well, I'll just come down and take all your mess and I'll bring you back anyway. I'm going to put my faith in something. I'm going to go with the God that says I'm going to step into my creation and I'm going to love you so much that I'm going to bring you back even when you reject me. I'm going to go to a cross and lay my life down and take your sin and give you my righteousness and welcome you into my arms because I love you that much. If I've got to choose between random chance and a great God that loves us like that. That's the easy choice. But I just pray that you would consider these things. That you consider how you answer them. I pray that you would be gracious with great humility when you talk to someone who disagrees with you. That you would be encouraged that what you believe and what the Bible teaches is actually very reasonable. That there are proofs. There are uh, uh, things that point us clearly to who God is and how he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your glorious design. I thank you that we can look around us and see the heavens 
declaring the glory of the Lord. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that more fully today. That as we leave and walk out of this place and we see what's around us and we perceive those things, that it would lead us to worship a great God that has made this incredible creation. That we would seek to humble ourselves under the things that we cannot fathom, that we cannot understand instead of professing that we have all the answers, that we would humbly seek you in the midst of that. We thank you that you are gracious and that you are kind and that you are patient and that you are long suffering in our wanderings and our frustrations and our hypotheses and our our ways of, of seeking to make you smaller or non-existent. We thank you that you love us and you continue to pursue us. We pray all of this in Jesus precious name. Amen.